Open Sesame. And welcome everyone to another exciting episode of Everything Zen, where we discuss everything in the Zenoscope universe from Death Force to Spirit Hunters, Grim Fairy Tales to Hell Child, and so much more. This is Zenoscope. I'm your host, Mark Sells, and we're happy to have you here with us for our May edition of Everything Zen. It's a month of flowers, beauty, and celebrations, but you also get some of those stormy May days, as ACDC sings about. While it's one of the most popular months to get married, May has had a long-standing omen that suggests havoc and bad luck to the bride and groom. As the saying goes, marry in May and you'll rue the day. There's also superstitions around buying a new broom in May. That's unlucky. And apparently, you shouldn't wash any blankets either. The name May is the English adaptation of the Latin word Maius, which goes back to ancient Greece, referring to the Greek goddess of growth. April showers bring May flowers. So what do May flowers bring? Pilgrims. Get it? Pilgrims aboard the Mayflower? Bad jokes aside, blue jeans were invented on May of 1873 after Levi Strauss and Jacob Davis got a patent for the pants on May 20th. Jell-O was first introduced in May of 1897. Star Wars opened on Memorial Day weekend in May of 1977. The Empire State Building and San Francisco's Golden Gate Bridge both opened in May on May 1st. 1931 and May 27, 1937, respectively. And Amelia Earhart flew across the Atlantic Ocean, marking the first solo flight by a woman on May 20, 1932. There are a lot of famous birthdays in May, such as Dwayne The Rock Johnson, George Clooney, Bob Dylan, Clint Eastwood, and Wes Anderson. Lots of holidays as well. From May the 4th to Cinco de Mayo to the Kentucky Derby to Mother's Day and Memorial Day. And how about a cosplay VCon here at Zenoscope? That's right, coming up on May 17th and 18th. So much fun and so many reasons to celebrate here in the month of May. Coming up on this podcast, we've got some fantastic podcast Word of the Month prizes for you, all focused on Jasmine, our featured character of the month. Amber will be stopping by to share her thoughts on Jasmine, Crown of Kings. We'll be joined by Zenoscope co-founder and Jasmine creator, Joe Brusha. And later, we'll be speaking with rising country music star, Mackenzie Porter, about her many hit songs following in the footsteps of Shania Twain and her upcoming tour this summer. There are no tears in our beers as we venture into Arabian Nights with a touch of country on this May edition of Everything Zen. A whole new world. A new fantastic point of view. No one to tell us no or where to go. Or say we're only dreaming. From the Disney animated feature Aladdin, that's from A Whole New World, with music and lyrics by Alan Menken and Tim Rice. Along with Robin Williams' performance as the genie, the song would be one of the movie highlights, winning an Oscar, Grammy, and Golden Globe for Best Original Song. And it's so ingrained in our heads, it's really hard to think about Aladdin and Jasmine without first thinking of this song 
and that magical carpet ride that ensued. Thanks, Disney. Surprisingly, Aladdin's original story actually took place in China, not the Middle East, and his story was added to 1001 Nights, also known as Arabian Nights, by a French translator named Antoine Galland in the early 18th century. More like an honorary or bonus story, the tale has now become one of the most famous in the entire collection. In the original story, Aladdin and the Wonderful Lamp, Aladdin marries a princess named Bedrulbador, her name referencing the full moon as a metaphor for female beauty. He lives on the streets as a thief, and she's very vain and very spoiled. Not exactly Disney princess material. So, her name was changed from Bedrulbador to Jasmine, inspired by the actress Jasmine Guy. Her characteristics were changed dramatically, and she would become the first heroine of color Disney ever produced. Jasmine would appear in Disney's two direct-to-video sequels, The Return of Jafar and Aladdin and the King of Thieves, the Broadway musical adaptation of Aladdin, various video games, and a live-action version in the fantasy television series Once Upon a Time. But apart from the name and the loose connection to Arabian Nights, Disney's Jasmine and Zenoscope's Jasmine are like night and day. Or should I say, 1001 nights and days. In the Zenoscope universe, Jasmine made her first appearance alongside Skye in Grim Fairy Tales Volume 2, Number 3 in a storyline entitled The Last Genie. Cursed hundreds of years ago by her own greed, Jasmine was transformed into a genie of myth and imprisoned in her own magical lamp. Centuries later, she is finally free and must find her place in a world that looks a lot different, harnessing her powers over elemental fire at Arcane Acres, learning to ride her magic carpet, and confronting enemies from her past. In addition to issue number three of Grim Fairy Tales, she continued to appear in random Grim issues as well as Dance of the Dead, and in May of 2018, she enjoyed a limited five-part run series entitled Jasmine, Crown of Kings, which saw her racing against the 40 thieves for different parts of the Crown of Kings, an object that once pieced together would unleash an ungodly power that could destroy everything and anything. Crown of Kings was authored by Howard Mackey with artwork by Davis Goten, and joining us to discuss Jasmine's origin story, Crown of Kings and Myths and Legends will be creator and co-founder Joe Brusha. But before we connect with Joe, let's take a quick look at the prizes you could win if you enter our May Podcast Word of the Month contest. This month for our Podcast Word of the Month contest, we're celebrating all things Jasmine. So whenever you hear this sound... During the podcast, we'll reveal a secret word and or phrase. If you email us at info at with that word or phrase, we'll send you a promo code to use on your next purchase on Zenoscope.com. It could be a discount, a free mini art print, a book, a sticker, maybe even a magic lamp. You never know. Just one submission per person. 
For Jasmine this month, our first place prize is a gift pack that includes a Mike DeBalfo showcase edition of Jasmine from Grim Fairy Tales, Volume 2, Number 37, Cover E, the image you see right now on this very podcast. We'll also include the graphic novel, Jasmine Crown of Kings, and a Jasmine collectible button. One lucky winner will be drawn from all of the podcast worth of the month submissions. We're also giving away three second-place prizes from those podcast submissions, three copies of the upcoming Myths and Legends Quarterly focused on Jasmine, releasing later this month on May 25th. So be sure and listen carefully and email us at info at zenoscope.com for your chance to win. First guest, Zenoscope president and co-founder Joe Brusha. Joe joins us now to talk about genies, flying carpets, and how Jasmine came to be in the Grimm universe. We'll also find out what his three wishes would be if he encountered a magic lamp, what the future holds for the former genie-slash-heroine Jasmine, and why Aladdin is his least favorite Disney film. Today we are joined by Zenoscope's co-founder and sultan of stories, Joe Brusha. Good to have you back with us, Joe. Good to be back. Thanks for having me. Of course, we are talking about all things related to Jasmine. And I'm curious, were you a big fan of 1001 Nights, The Thief of Baghdad? And if so, uh, what attracted you to the stories and made them ripe for a Xenoscope series? Well, I don't think I was too interested in kind of the... uh... 1001 Arabian Nights, but I, I was a really big fan of Sinbad, um, which I think falls into those, those Arabian Nights stories. Um, growing up, I was a, I loved the Ray Harryhausen movies um, and just loved the whole Sinbad character. And we've, you know, we've done some Sinbad stories. And so, so that kind of Middle Eastern mythology and in, in those stories has always, has always been interesting. Um, you know, I don't know specifically if it was Jasmine or, or you know those stories. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the Disney movie. Um, it's it's good, but I'm not. It's not like one of my favorites. So, um, but I think the connection to that, you know, just led us into these these stories and using Jasmine as a character. Right. Well, and the foundation for Jasmine came about through Crown of Kings. What is Crown of Kings about, and why should our listeners read it? So, that was kind of the. Uh, sort of an origin story for Jasmine. Um, she started out in, I believe, Grim Fairy Tales, volume two, number three, is where we, we had her in The Last Genie and where we introduced her as a character um, and brought her into the Grim universe. And then from there, we wanted to expand on her background and tell her, you know, kind of her origin story. So Crown of Kings is is kind of a, um adventure story featuring her and, and revealing her origin while she tries to track down uh, the pieces of the legendary crown of kings and, and stop it for being used for evil purposes. Did you do a lot of research in developing crown of kings? Did you were you familiar at all with Bajul Bador and how her character was developed in One Thousand and One Nights? I don't even think I can pronounce that word. Uh, <laughs> you did a good job of it. No, that before you know before you just said it right now. Uh, I've never heard that. I don't think I've ever heard that name. Um, going back on it's been a couple of years since crown of kings came out i know we did a little bit of research into kind of um you know that mythology but i think probably 90 percent of it was just we made it up you know we, we kind of developed our own our own story for her um 
and I, I yeah, I wasn't I wasn't aware that that she had been derived from that character. So uh, most of most of the stuff I think is original to our to our universe and stuff that we came up with. And is that also kind of a philosophy at Zenoscope? Is that you have these public domain sort of characters or stories and things like that, but the development in the Zenoscope universe it really is a huge departure from how those characters existed in their original creations. Is that right? Yeah, and I think it's kind of dependent on which story we're telling, which character we're working on. It's always different. Um, there's a lot of times where we'll, at least I'll delve really deeply into other stories and mythology. And, and you know, right now we're working on some Cthulhu stuff for Grim Fairy Tales and bringing that into the universe and done a lot of research. And I think we'll use a lot of what H.P. Lovecraft used, um, you know, some of his stories and, you know, the the monsters and things like that so sometimes sometimes we'll really delve into it deeply and other times we just make up uh our own kind of narrative and and see how it fits with the character but um there's never any kind of set fast rules it's 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 whatever whatever happens that day when we have a story meeting we'll either um you know sometimes use a lot of stuff from history and literature because most stories have already been told uh it's just a different way telling them and putting new spins on it so so we, you know, but but again, it's really always dependent uh, on the character and the story itself. I think Jasmine, um, we just wanted to do it fresh, our own kind of take on it, and go from there, and not use a lot of uh, the past mythology and stories. In, in Crown of Kings, Jasmine is described at one point as just a girl with a flaming sword, but we know that is not true. How is Zenoscope's Jasmine different from Disney's Jasmine and what makes her unique? I mean, I know she's not singing songs in the Zenoscope universe. <laughs> not yet anyway. Um, <laughs> so we kind of, I guess we did take a little bit from the Aladdin story with Jasmine because we kind of switched her. Instead of being a princess, she was more of a street urchin and a thief. Um, and that's, you know, she took kind of the role of, um, of, I guess Aladdin and was more of an anti-hero and, and, you know, wasn't a princess. So, uh, and then she was, um, you know, there's a short story in, in, uh, Grim Fairy Tales legacy that kind of tells of how she was trapped in the lamp and she became a genie. So I think it's a pretty big departure from uh, kind of the Disney Jasmine as a princess. Uh, and she's more of the, you know, she's definitely a hero and more of the, protagonist she's definitely a protagonist for these stories and um so it's a pretty big departure like i said she street version then a genie is doesn't really follow the the disney story so she's more of the robin williams genie no <laughs> she's she's uh which is one of the reasons i don't love aladdin uh i don't love that movie because i don't love the genie for some reason um i don't know why i mean he's great but as an, i guess you know, robin was an awesome actor but she's, you know, the, the genies and, and the djinn in our universe are much darker and more powerful. Uh, they don't grant wishes, but they have a lot of power and they're, you're able to, people are able to harness that power and use them for whether it's good or evil means. But I think they are a lot darker. So she's, she was more of a dark, powerful force. Yeah, that's a good segue for the next question, which is where would you rank Jasmine in terms of Zenoscope's most powerful characters? Well, so far in her current iteration since she's been released from being a genie and she no longer has that power um 
you know, I think she's somewhere a mid-level character, but I think she has the potential uh, to be one of, if not the most powerful characters in the universe. She has a lot of untapped power and, um, you know, she's, she's rediscovering that and accessing it uh, through these stories. We know there are some differences, but will we ever see Aladdin make an appearance in Xenoscope's universe? Um, I don't know. It's a good question. At this point, we haven't really thought about it or, or decided to introduce him. Um, you know, we're going away from her being somebody's love interest and being her own kind of powerful character and standing on her own two feet. Um, never say never, you know, I think as the stories evolve and as we, as we continue to develop her character, there's always a possibility. Um, but we haven't planned on it yet. At Xenoscope, we know that we've got myths and legends focus on Jasmine releasing later in the month. What's it about? So it's, it's a continuation of Jasmine's, uh, story uh leading out of um grim fairy tales she's sent to another dimension and it's a dimension that she's familiar with and she kind of understands the rules to uh, and it deals with her power and uh specifically the power of the jinns and the elemental powers that they have so um you know it's kind of a quest story for her um and I don't want to reveal too much, but it's, it's, it's really cool. It, it develops her more as a character and shows her, you know, I guess, growing in power and evolving. With all this talk about genies or gin and magic lamps and wishes, we couldn't let you go without asking, what would your three wishes be? Oh, boy, that's tough. So I'd love to say that they would be altruistic, but I'm going to say number one, I would want the power, some kind of power to control time, uh, whether it's to stop time or slow time down. I mean, I think that's the biggest enemy of all of us anymore. The more I think about it and the, and the older I get, you know, you just want to have some kind of control. There's never enough hours in the day. Um, but I think that would be my first wish, some kind of control over time. Uh, secondly, you know, I'd probably wish for like a billion dollars. Got to be honest. I mean, I, I you can do a lot of good. I mean, it'd be it's a little self-serving, but I would probably try and do some good with it. Um, you know, I, people. I, what's that old saying? Anybody who says money isn't doesn't buy happiness doesn't have any. So um, <laughs> I, I, I'd probably do that. Uh, third, uh, it'd probably either be. I'd, I'd love to have the ability to fly, but I don't know how practical. That is like what am i getting out of that uh or what is anybody getting out of that uh i might I, when i was when i was a kid i always wanted to have the ability to clone myself so i could like my clone could go to school and i could do whatever i wanted um so maybe that would be it i to have the ability to make a clone that could go and do anything that i didn't want to do and i could do what i really wanted to do kind of along the timelines but i think th those would be three pretty good wishes before we let you go, uh, beyond myths and legends, do you have plans for more Jasmine stories? And if so, how would you like to see her character grow? Um, currently, I mean, there's no set plan. She'll definitely have more stories, though. Uh, I really like that she was, you know, when she was kind of hanging out at Arcane Acre with Sky and, and was involved in some of, of her stories. Um, I think she's a really cool character. Uh, I'm kind of glad that we've developed her the way we have. And she's, again, she's different from the Disney iteration of her. Um, so I, I would say, you know, she's not going anywhere. I don't know that she'll be brought back into the, 
into the regular Grim universe, or she'll stay kind of in this alternate dimension for a little while. Uh, most likely she'll come back in. But yeah, there'll, there'll definitely be more stories. What they are, can't say right now. It'll be, it'll be a, that'll be a decision for a story conference coming up. Excellent. Well, that'll do it for us today. I'll let you get back to your Sultan-like responsibilities. Thanks so much for stopping by, Joe. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. If you'd like to learn more about Jasmine, stop by Zenoscope.com today, and midway down the homepage, you'll see a section entitled Jasmine 101. It's got the single issues of Crown of Kings, as well as the Crown of Kings graphic novel, and her first appearance in Grim Fairy Tales, Volume 2, Number 3. Everything you need to get started on your journey through Xenoscope's version of Arabian Nights. Cursed hundreds of years ago by her own greed, Jasmine was transformed into a genie of myth and imprisoned in a magical lamp. Now finally free for the first time in centuries, it's a whole new world, and she must find her place in it. Confronting enemies from her past with her magic carpet and renaming limited powers over elemental fire, she is here to right her mistakes and make the world a safer place in the process. Jasmine, Crown of Kings, is the only graphic novel featuring past genie and Xenoscope character Jasmine. The graphic novel released a few years ago was written by Howard Mackey and is currently 1999 in the web store. It features over 20 covers by your favorite artists, such as Igor Vitorino, Riviero, Leandro Colla Pietro, Jan Acleto, Alan Otero, Cece De La Cruz, Sean Chen, Josh Burns, plus many more of your favorite artists. The first issue alone features five covers. For those fans of sketch covers as well, there is a sketch cover F for issue number one to take to your favorite cover artist. To hop right in, the synopsis reads, when a fiery explosion erupts in the ancient city of Petra, Jasmine races against the terrorist group, also known as the 43 Thieves, which I'm sure you're very familiar with, to prevent the shattered pieces of the crown of kings, an object that haunts her past from being reunited and unleashing an unearthly power on the world and all that she holds dear. This graphic novel collects Jasmine Crown of Kings issues one through five. It's an emotional adventure of a lifetime, forcing Jasmine to accept realizations of her past and continue on her path of redemption for the actions she did centuries ago. My favorite thing about the storyline is Jasmine's a really like rare character who feels she needs to make up for things in her past. So many other iconic Xenoscope characters were given these powers and, you know, it was created to fight for good. But Jasmine is haunted by the actions of her past, which makes her story very relatable. She battles the 40 thieves and she's trying to get the pieces of the crown of kings. But, you know, she's haunted by the things that she's done centuries ago. This all leads up to the battle against Ali, the last of the jinn and an ancient god. Catch up on her very emotional redemption arc before Myth and Legends Jasmine, which is released later this month. Our podcast Word of the Month is here, and for May, I was so tempted to go with Bedrulbador just to see what you would submit. But it's quite the mouthful, and we like to keep things simple here on Everything Zen. So for May, we're going to go with lamp, as in magical lamp. 
the prison for genies and ex-genies like Jasmine. The May podcast word of the month is LAMP. Moving forward now, let's take a look at some of the exciting events coming up on the Zenoscope calendar for May 2022. New releases drop every Wednesday along with our weekly live stream New Comic Wednesdays hosted by Amber. This month, Mystere gets the graphic novel treatment, compiling issues number one through five of her self-titled series. Belle ends up in an ancient maze full of deadly creatures in Belle Labyrinth, while Liesel Van Helsing gets caught in the middle of a science experiment gone awry in a new chapter entitled Bloodborne. Meanwhile, Skye continues to fight her way out of a steampunk Oz, we wrap up the month of May with an all-new Myths and Legends quarterly focused on Jasmine. She finds herself trapped inside a magic lamp once more and must embark on an epic journey to free herself, uncover her past, and learn more about the future of the Grim Universe. The new Metal Comic, Metal Cards, and Sticker Set have all been released for May and are available for subscription on Zenoscope.com, along with the new 2022 Collector's Club editions for board game cosplay and catch them throughout the month. If you're a fan of Star Wars, this month has brand new cosplay collectibles from a galaxy far, far away, including the latest holiday cover by Sun Kumanaki, available right now on the homepage under May the 4th. Our May Featured Artist of the Month is Michael Dooney. He has all kinds of stickers and metal cards, and you can get all three new art prints of his for just $40 this month. And finally, Ralph, Jason, Noah, Casey, and the gang are mixing things up this month with the May Cosplay Virtual Con, which airs on Tuesday and Wednesday, May 17th and 18th. I repeat, Tuesday and Wednesday this month. As always, they'll have all kinds of new books and packs and prizes and games, special guests, and a cosplay contest that is always a hit, always seems to get better and better each year. Last year, some of my favorites didn't even make the top three. So please join us and enjoy the festivities and celebrate all of the cosplayers. That's Tuesday and Wednesday, May 17th and 18th. Check your emails and Zenoscope's Facebook page for the exact times for each day. Mackenzie Porter is our featured guest this month, a rising country music sensation following in the path of fellow Canadian superstar Shania Twain. With number one hits like About You, These Days, Seeing Other People, and a record-breaking collaboration with Dustin Lynch, Thinking About You, which stayed atop Billboard Country Music Charts for a whopping 28 weeks. And she's just getting warmed up. A lifelong musician, Mackenzie has also appeared in numerous film and television projects, such as Hell on Wheels, Travelers, Supernatural, and she even won a Best Actress Award for her role in the TV movie The Other Woman. Recently, I had the pleasure of speaking with the Alberta native as she took a break during her current tour to chat about her early music life, the influence of artists like Alanis and Nirvana, making music videos, trailblazing the country music scene, and those life-altering hit songs. Here's how our conversation went. 
Today, I want to extend a very warm welcome to our special guest here on Everything Zen, country music sensation, Mackenzie Porter. Mackenzie, thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to chat. Yes. You were raised in Alberta, close to big sky country, lots of cattle, lots of ranches. Uh, What was your experience like growing up and how did it shape your country music perspective? You know what, I think um, where, where I grew up, we were about 30 minutes from like the nearest big city. And when I say big city, I'm talking about like at the time, like 50,000 people. Um, so we really didn't have like a lot to do other than like live on a ranch and play music. So that's kind of, you know, was a huge, huge thing that my parents like instilled in us to pick up a guitar when you're bored or like, or go outside, but like, it was like music or playing outside, um, or school. And I think that just really formed my love for, for music and country specifically, because that's what we listened to being out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and also kind of, you know, helped me learn how to play instruments like fiddle and piano and guitar. And, you know, when you have a lot of time on your hands, you can like sit at an instrument for a while. Much more so than when you're an adult, that's for sure. Oh my gosh. I know like learning an instrument is actually so hard, but as a kid, you don't, it's like learning language. You know, if you can get it done when you're a kid, it's so much easier than an adult, I think. And you've talked about how music was an integral part of your family. What were some of your earliest music memories and influences? So I was in a band called Swass. Um, My brother, we were all really like into music, but my brother was an amazing singer and he was on Canadian Idol for a while. We all started this like family band where we would tour and we were kids. We named it Swass. I I don't even go into that part of it, but um, we played all different sorts of things. Like my, my songs were a lot of Alanis Morissette, a lot of Dixie Chicks, um, uh, like some evanescence, like anything that was kind of, you know, early 2000s. Um, but I grew up like listening to the chicks, um, Garth Brooks, Shania Twain, Celine Dion, and then all the way to like Britney Spears and like Backstreet Boys and Hillary Duff, like all over the map. Not a, a lot of like pop country um, music. And that's kind of like formed, you know, my influences. Live music is coming back to the Calgary Stampede this July. Uh, The Stampede, of course, is one of the largest rodeo outdoor music events in the world. Did you frequent the Stampede a lot in your youth? I did. I mean, when I was a little bit older, probably like 18 um, and on, I I filmed a TV show there called Hell on Wheels. And we filmed for, I filmed for three years. And so I went every year when I was filming. Um, but before that, like we were so, such small town people, like I didn't even get up to Calgary a whole lot because I grew up like three and a half hours away. So as a kid, not so much, but as a young adult, yes. You mentioned Hell on Wheels and interestingly, it was acting, not music that had you relocate to Vancouver. You had roles on Supernatural, The Haunting Hour, Travelers. When did the acting bug bite you? Um, kind of at an early age too. I, I started with an acting coach in my hometown around 13. Um, I signed with my agent probably a year later at 14. And then I booked my first like lead on the series at 16 and I fell in love with it. Like I 
I spent half of my year in school in high school and half of it on set and had tutors and that whole thing. And I just loved, I loved filming and I loved, you know, playing different characters and becoming somebody else. And then I moved out to Vancouver as soon as I graduated. Was there ever a tug of war between music and acting? And if so, how did you resolve it? There is now. Um, I feel like, you know, when I was younger, um, I didn't have like a whole lot going on in both. And so I was able to just kind of like take whatever opportunity was in front of me at the moment. But now with music being so busy um, and me, I still audition. I'm doing an audition this afternoon. I did one yesterday. Wow. Uh, yeah. So um, it's a little bit harder with scheduling now because everything is so busy. <laughs> so, you know, in my mind, it's like um, if the right opportunity came in film and TV, then I would jump on that. And if the right touring opportunity came, I would jump on that and just kind of, I'm trying to just keep both going at this point. You signed with Big Loud in Nashville in 2018 as their first Canadian artist and then went on to have three number one hits on Canadian country charts, not seen since the likes of Shania Twain. Did life change for you at that point in time? Was it scary? Were you more confident? Um, definitely more confident and definitely, it's funny, it kind of like gets scarier the more success you have or not scarier, just like the pressure's on. Um, you know, now uh, Dustin Lynch and I had a fourth number one at um, Canadian Radio. And so, you know, as as you go on, as you go into like five and six, it's like, well, you better better come out with some really strong songs now because of the history. Um, no so sophomore kind of, slump. Yeah, exactly. So it's kind of um, like a double-edged sword where it's like, it, it, it gives you more confidence and it also puts on more pressure. Yeah. We sing about falling in love. It couldn't get much better. I wish I could make time stop in that chorus forever. But they change and you're gone. And I can't turn it off when it comes on. Now it's just another one of my drinking songs. I want to talk about drinking songs, your American debut. How did that project materialize and what was your overall vision for bringing those songs together so we had been putting out singles for basically i want to say two years um and i wanted them all to like live in one space one record and so i kind of took the songs that reacted the most and that people fell in love with and i fell in love with and added a couple more to like finish off that body of work so i could move on to where I'm at now, my new, my new, my new record, I guess. Um, I just kind of wanted to like wrap it up, put it behind me so I can go on to the next project. Is there a difference in the Canadian country lifestyle versus the country lifestyle here in the U.S.? I think so a little bit. Um, you mean as far as just like a fan and like living a country life kind of, or are you talking about music? Uh, well, a little bit of both actually. I think the lifestyle is very similar. I mean, I, like I said, grew up on a cattle and bison ranch and then in Canada. And then my husband's family is from South Carolina. They kind of live in the country. Um, so it's funny, like other than the accent, <laughs> the Southern accent and the Canadian accent, um, they're very similar. Like both our families kind of do the same things. Um, 
act the same way, like have the same goals and morals kind of. Um, and then as far as music, I think, you know, I think the Canadian scene is smaller. So maybe it's a little bit more competitive in the U S um, but you know, people love to listen to country music and it doesn't really matter if you're like this side of the border or that side of the border. Right. It's about words that hurt the first burn the worst mistakes and lessons learned and getting what you deserve instead of getting back what you had to lose. Yeah, boy, this one's about you. About You is such a good song. And it's ironic because it starts out with the song ain't a summertime song meant to make you sing along, yet it does. Uh, <laughs> and it has sort of a Taylor Swift dynamic going on as she's written about breakups and failed relationships. And my question is, now that you are happily married, has your songwriting and music changed to where you wouldn't write about failed relationships and heartbreak? No, I'll still write about that. I still oh. like love um I don't like I I kind of love going back to those moments in my life and like feeling those <laughs> heartbreak feelings again I know that sounds so bizarre but like I don't know if you're the same way but if you listen to a sad song it's like nostalgic to think about that past person or that past love um and I don't know when I hear a sad song I connect a little bit more maybe I'm like a little bit sad inside not not in my relationship or anything like that but I just kind of grab onto a, a good heartbreak song I love it and so I'll love to keep writing that as well. Nostalgia is a large part of music I think. It really is um you know there's a few things that like can take you back I feel like is like music sense smell like a good cologne of like a past boyfriend or a perfume of your mom or your friend or whatever that always takes me back um you know just as much and that that feeling of like nostalgia is one of my favorite feelings mm. you talked about dustin lynch and you had a number one hit with thinking about you how did that collaboration come about did you have any idea that it would be as successful as it became I definitely knew it was going to be a very successful song, but I had no idea the extent that it was going to, you know, change my life or, or the extent of like how big it would be. We just got yesterday that um, we broke the record for like the longest billboard top 10 in history. So it's kind of crazy. Like I never thought that would happen. I, I hoped that we would climb the charts and it would be like a big you know, US record, but I didn't know it'd go number one. I didn't know it'd sit at number one for that long. Um, and I didn't know we'd break these kind of records. Speaking of number one country music hits, I read that the word you is the most used word in the titles of country music hit songs. So really? without, yeah. So without saying you, what is your favorite and least favorite country music phrase or cliche? Tears, beers, pickup trucks. <laughs> um without saying you <laughs> right uh okay one of my favorite songs my favorite country songs of all time is strawberry wine and so i just feel like that song is like like we're talking about nostalgia like a nostalgic feeling that i love um but let me think my favorite lines in a country song so I love the song Tequila, When I Taste Tequila. Um, 
another nostalgic kind of song. And that's, these are horrible answers. I can't think off the top of my head, but those are a couple of my favorite lines and songs. No, that's great. That's great. Unlonely Me has a very carefree, airy vibe to it. Kind of, it's kind of like a pandemic plea of sorts where you're looking for a connection and you're looking for companionship. What was your pandemic experience like? I know we're still kind of in it. Were you super productive and where did that song come from? So I wrote that on Zoom over the pandemic. So it's funny you say that um with Craig Wiseman and Nick Bailey and we were kind of talking about that we we made it sound like a relationship song but it really was just like stuck in your house lonely bored um you know lost at like this new thing that we were all experiencing but my my pandemic was actually extremely productive and like I kind of wish it was a little bit more lazy Um, but we, my team like moved so fast in the sense of like, Hey, this is what we're going to be doing for the next while. So how do we do it like the best? And like, let's change gears to make this the most productive time. So we don't lose time. Mm. Um, so I did like a radio tour on zoom, which is kind of wild, but like every day I'd get up and like meet a bunch of different people from radio across the U S and play for them over the computer. I wrote every day on zoom, um, when I wasn't like doing that kind of stuff, um, I was renovating my house. I'm not really like a sit still kind of person. I love busy stuff and I love feeling like I'm accomplishing something. Yeah. By the way, I, I, I loved seeing the Nirvana Metallica Rolling Stone shirts that you have in different videos. I'm assuming you're a fan of their music, a fan of, of hard rock. I I grew up on that too. Um, I love a good band tee, like just the aesthetic of it too. Um, I have so many, like I have a Willie Nelson tee. I have a Shania tee. I just love like live music. And if I've been to a concert, I probably have a t-shirt from the show or I just like will see a t-shirt and grab it if I um, know the band. <laughs> That's good. That's good. I'm the same way. Whose hands at the window on the window's day? I'm also kind of a nerd in, in that I still make mix CDs and pickup is on my latest that I've shared with my friends and family. Stylistically, the video is really interesting too, as it's shot almost entirely in the rearview mirror. Seeing other people is another incredible video you did where you it's focused on you, front and center, tears and all. Do you enjoy making music videos and how much input do you have stylistically in the final product? So I think both the ones you're talking about are lyric videos. And so they're a bit simpler, but I have um, full control over all of the videos. So 
those two specifically, the seeing of the people video, like me just staring into the camera, that, that lyric video was just, I had a photo shoot that day. And at the end of the photo shoot, they're like, should we just try like one take into the camera? We need a lyric video. Maybe it'll work. Maybe it won't. Did one take and it, it that's worked. what it was. Yeah, it did. So, and then the pickup one was um, just like a content piece for, for the lyric video. But then the actual video for that is all green screen where I'm like a Barbie in a box who doesn't get the guy. And that concept was a girlfriend of mine and my idea that we took to the director. I, I want to come back to Shania Twain for a second. The queen of country pop these days had crossover appeal. You recently did a song with Virginia to Vegas, and you mentioned this before being a fan, but I saw a terrific cover of Alanis Morissette's Hand in My Pocket. Where do you see yourself growing musically in the years ahead? Where is Mackenzie in five years? I mean, I would love to be headlining a tour, um, you know, headlining like either theaters or like I mean if everything goes well like arenas headlining um or out on the road with some of my friends but I mean I'm not opposed to like crossover songs but the root of everything I'm going to do is country and if it if it works to crossover I'm into that um I have a feature coming out with uh I guess you'd say like an EDM artist um that I wrote it's a country song but they're like making it a little bit more EDM I guess uh, so I'm just open to like writing good music that comes from a story based lyric, which is country and then seeing where it goes. It looks like you're on the road through the end of September, beginning of October. What can you tell us about the current tour dates and what are you excited most about when it comes to performing live music? Yeah. So I start festival. Oh, I'm, I'm wrapping up the Walker Hayes tour. I have two more shows. We're playing Knoxville and the Ryman so the Ryman will be really cool I've never played that before so my parents are coming in it'll be really cool um and then I go straight into festival season so I'm kind of across Canada I'm across um the U.S. and then September we go over to Australia so we're going to go on tour across Australia with Brad Paisley which I'm like super pumped about and Morgan Evans and myself and um make it make that 14 hour flight worth it because i'll play a bunch of shows and um be able to tour like pretty heavily over there and hopefully get to see some of the beautiful country yes that's the thing is like we have a show and then we have like a day off or two days off and then a show so uh, my husband's gonna come my other band member who we're like really tight with his wife is coming and we'll make it into like a vacation tour that's great Kenzie, thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations on all your successes. And we're looking forward to more great music, more mixed CDs, hopefully, and seeing you on the road this year. Awesome. Thank you so much. If you'd like to learn more about Mackenzie Porter, her official webpage is MackenziePorter.com. You'll find all kinds of music videos, news, and tour info as Mackenzie travels from Las Vegas to Sydney, Australia, alongside Brad Paisley. And of course, you can access Mackenzie Porter's entire music catalog on all major music sources, from iTunes to Pandora to Spotify. And that'll wrap up this edition of Everything Zen. A very special thanks to Amber, Zenoscope co-founder and Jasmine creator, Joe Brusha, and our featured music guest, Mackenzie Porter. I'm your host, Mark Sells. Thank you for listening. May the fourth be with you. 
and all the days in the merry month of May. We'll see you all again next month, right here on Everything Zen.